Welcome to It's a Crime, I'm Linda, and today we're gonna to be talking about the odd behaviors surrounding Charles Vallow's death. But before I get into it, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button below, hit that notification bell to all. Please like this video if you support it, and please share this out where you can. Now, let's get into it. We've seen a lot of odd behaviors in the Lori Vallow case, the Charles Vallow case, and the Chad Daybell case. And today, I'm gonna hone in on and expose the behaviors on the day that Charles was killed and the days that followed. We're gonna start off with Charles's alleged demeanor on July 11, 2019, and then move on to the days that followed. And Charles's demeanor was described by Alex that he was enraged that morning according to his statements. And Tylee said that Charles's face was really red and he didn't even look like him. Lori said that as soon as he arrived, he was banging on the door and she thought, here we go, right away. And she said she was also just trying to be nice. So remember that morning that Charles was at his hotel and his plan was to pick up JJ at 7.30 a.m. at Lori's house go have a quick breakfast back at his hotel, and then drop JJ off for the 8.30 bell at his school. So now we're gonna take a little dive into what others say about his demeanor, which is very, very interesting and enlightening. Here's what Charles' ex-wife had to say about his demeanor. Charles was a semi-pro baseball player. If he hit Alex in the head with a bat, he would be dead. But Charles was not a violent person. We were married and divorced and not one time, not one second, was he ever physically threatening to me. In a Dateline interview, Cheryl said, being his wife for 12 years and divorcing him, there was no violence. I never saw him lose it. He wasn't that kind of person that would lose it and certainly not become physical. And especially not to a child or a woman. I never even saw him with a guy get into a fight. Here's what one of Charles' sons said about him. I don't believe any of it. My dad was never verbally aggressive, never raised his voice, never physically threatened anyone or anything like that. He was very good at baseball. He played in college. So if he was going to defend himself, he wouldn't just tap an aluminum bat on someone's head in self-defense. The entire story just doesn't make any sense. Here's what Colby Ryan says about Charles' demeanor in an interview with Justin Lum. And Justin Lum asks, was Charles known to ever be in a rage like that the way she described? Colby says, no, not that I know of. I mean, I've never seen him just go berserk. Justin says, you grew up with him. This is your dad, basically. Colby Ryan says, yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, we've seen a few body cams with footage that shows Charles in them. And in each of them, his demeanor was never a hothead or enraged. Now, one body cam video particularly strikes me. It's the one in January where he just got back from a Texas business trip. And remember, that was actually the one where he was at the airport. He went to go get his truck and he couldn't find it because it was stolen by Lori. And that was the whole start also of that whole Nick Schneider from Chad Daybell. And in that video footage, Charles was in a very stressful situation. He doesn't know where his kids are. He doesn't know where Lori is. His truck was stolen. $35,000 went out of his business account and he had payroll 
just a few short days later and he's concerned for everyone's safety so he called the cops and Charles describes Lori in that video and the way she had been talking as nonsensical she she's lost her mind uh, I, I, I don't know how else to say it we're LDS she thinks she's a resurrected being and a and a a God and remember the 144,000. She's come to Jesus is coming next year. She took all the money out of her bank account today. My truck has gone from the airport. She went to the airport and got it. I just flew in from Houston, from Dallas. Houston and Dallas. So, uh, where's your truck? I don't know. And we see throughout this video that he is pretty calm. He's worried, but in this stressful situation, he is very calm, not riled up just really wanting to help. And in a situation so stressful, if he is the type to be enraged or come unglued, then why didn't we see this here? Uh, perhaps he would have learned something that morning. However, I'm thinking at this point, in my opinion, that I highly doubt it. He told Lori, gave her the heads up, he's going to be there at 7.30 a.m. And he was on a tight schedule, had to pick up JJ, feed him, get him to school. So Lori even said that she didn't even talk to Charles. Uh, it just was basically to text her that he was going to be there at 7.30 a.m. So there was no other comment about, you know, what would have enraged him that morning other than that phone However, I don't know if Charles would be, at this point, just leaving his phone anywhere because he didn't even trust Lori at this point. So we already know this is pretty shady. And it's interesting that no one in his close family has said that he's never gone berserk, that he's never been physical, never been verbally abusive. So this is very interesting. So next, let's talk about Alex's phone call to 911. Not a deep dive, but just his demeanor. So after Charles was shot and killed, now enters Alex Cox. And we see him say on the 911 call that he shot Charles in self-defense. In fact, he says, I shot my brother-in-law in, in self-defense. He then returned his gun to his room and then he washed up his little wound and then he called 911. What is very notable and interesting, I'm sure you would agree and you have agreed, is that he's super calm and collected on that call. Not a stitch of panic, not a stitch of remorse, just an old, yeah, I shot my brother-in-law in, in self-defense. And he made sure to put that statement of self-defense in. Now, Alex has known Charles for at least 15 years and he says, to the police officers that they normally got along, except that day Alex describes him as enraged. Well, I don't know about you, and I know that people handle tragedy differently. However, this isn't a field all in itself. I'd be curious to know what the actual operators thought when they heard his voice over the phone and his demeanor, because it's just very, very different. Uh, there's a, I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense. Then of course there's the issue of the actual CPR and if it was even done on Charles. In my opinion and my husband who's been a paramedic of almost 20 years, the likelihood of Alex doing CPR is very slim. Um, 
I, I shot my brother-in-law. Okay, what part of his body is injured? Uh, in the chest. I'm sorry, where? In the chest. Okay, is he awake and responsive or unconscious? Unconscious. Okay, is he breathing? I can't tell. Okay, are you wanting, are you willing to go over to him and check? Sure. Okay, do you just let me know if you see his chest going up and down? How old is he? It's not moving, he's 60. Okay, and are you wanting to start CPR? No, I don't know how to do that. We also see Alex coming out of the house without even a sweat from doing CPR, and CPR is actually quite rigorous. And he has his sunglasses on his head coming out, and his breathing seems totally fine, super nonchalant and calm. And CPR, like I said, is not an easy thing. So we also see Alex being pretty jovial in his interactions with the cops. Not an ounce of remorse, it seems, does it? Then Alex takes a ride in the cop car to the police station and he's asking questions about the officer wearing Kevlar and if it's hot. Just, you know, taking a nonchalant ride to the police station as if he's on a holiday. Oh yeah, he is on vacation that week. Pretty fun-filled and interesting for Alex, it seems. Feel that air conditioner, sir? Yeah. Okay. It is. Yeah, it's pure misery in the summer. There's no doubt about it. How hot is it? How much extra hot is that vest? Well, uh, the vest, it's because it's Kevlar. It takes on whatever my body is. So, because um, I'm wearing black, so it's probably like. 115 to 120 just the temperature of the clothing and the sun in the summer so that's what the vest will be and then if i'm on a collision the asphalt just depends on how hot it is is between 150 and 170 on the ground yeah so we're standing on the asphalt for a couple hours so then the vest gets to be 130 ish and so yeah it's just misery for three months it's just terrible What's that? How do you stay hydrated in 170? Oh, you, you bring a lot of liquids, yeah. It's a lot of liquids, you have to. Then, at the police station, we actually see him crack a joke about his weight, and, you know, he's being, again, pretty calm about just having to kill someone he cared about and really got along with for 15 years. Do you have any medical issues that might be underlying that... Yeah, I'm slightly overweight. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, join the club. Other than that, uh, high blood pressure, or anything, or do you take medication that, that no, you need to have? No, no. Just, okay. It was a little high my last physical, but not. Oh, okay. Nothing major, no medication or anything like that. Groovy, okay. Now let's go on to Lori. She takes off in Charles's rental car, and her, in her own statement, she said she heard the shot while she's in the house, and then she leaves the house and takes JJ to school. Well, she gets back and is then seen on camera with a lot of smiles and giggles, almost like she won the lottery. Let's take a look. You live here, though, not, at, not in Santana. This is your home? Right, Got right. You. Okay. We just moved in here. Gotcha. How long have you guys lived here? Sorry? How long have you lived here? Like three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. That's why the neighbors took us. Gotcha. <laughs> Are you working at all? Uh, no. Okay. And uh, you're still about five, six, mm -hmm. one twenty. Mm -hmm. 
And even though this is bizarre, it's not like Alex and Lori are devoid of emotion because we heard about Alex and Lori having that knockdown drag out fight in the middle of the street just months before at Alex's house. So they do get angry, just not here with someone they both would have as a family member for 15 years and would care about or love. Self-defense or not. Now here's where it starts to get pretty interesting as well. Here's what the authorities had to say about their demeanor. Detective Nathan Moffat described Lori, Alex, and Tylee's demeanor as straight up bizarre. He said it was the weirdest ride I've ever had with three strangers. He described Lori as happy-go-lucky and said she was smiling and nonchalant. You would have thought we just recovered their stolen vehicle. Well, in essence, you did recover a stolen vehicle, Charles's rental car. Here's what Seth Tyler, another detective, had to say in a Justin Lum interview. Based off of everything that we gathered, everything that we had, at this point, it's ruled that it was a self-defense by Alex Cox. Says she left the scene when she heard the gunshots, driving off with her kids Tylee and JJ in her husband's rental car. I asked Detective Seth Tyler if that came off as suspicious. There's nothing that, that I see in the report or nothing that uh, was talked about to me where they were looking at that as something that was strange. In fact, police have never considered Lori to be a suspect. Now let's go to the property manager or the landlord. He catches wind about the crime scene tape around the house and around 11 o'clock that morning, he texts Lori and says, are you okay? She replies, we are okay, I'll explain later. By the afternoon though, Lori had that infamous pool party in her backyard. Here's what the landlord said. I've known Lori and Charles since they moved to Chandler many years ago. We rented them the first home they lived in for around five years before moving to Kauai. I'd say we're good friends. My family visited them, Charles, Lori, Tylee, and JJ in Kauai. When they returned to Chandler, Charles and I had several conversations during Lori's disappearance February 2019. He came to my house and cried telling me he's so sad and that he can't believe she just abandoned JJ. A few text messages followed and then they resurfaced as Charles tried to make the marriage work. We then rented Charles and Lori another home in June 2019, where Charles was murdered July 11th. Charles and I were texting the night before on July 10th at 7.49 p.m. and planned to meet in the morning to find him another place to live because it wasn't working out with Lori. That was the morning he was shot. Many very weird events followed. When the neighbors informed me police were at the house and yellow tape surrounded, I immediately texted both Charles and Lori, are you okay? No response until around 11 a.m. and Lori replied, we are okay. I'll explain later. She and Alex were taken to Chandler PD for questioning and released. That day, the neighbors reported a pool party at the house the same day Charles was murdered, with loud music and lots of people swimming. Neighbors also reported Alex was staying at the house for several days following the shooting, even though he lived in the same area. I spoke with Lori several times days following the shooting and she never sounded shocked, sad, or heartbroken, as you would think a bride would be watching her husband die. I asked her to move out, which she did August 31st. No communication as to where she was going. I really liked Charles and miss his smile and Louisiana, Texas twang accent. He was generous and a family man. Such a terrible loss. I'm so sorry he's gone. I wish I could have helped him more sooner. RIP, my friend. 
Now, one of the first people, it seems, to find out about Charles' death was Colby Ryan. He says that he was told Charles had a heart attack and died. And Colby goes over to Lori's house. He's thinking how awful it is for Tylee having to see Charles have a heart attack. He then finds out at the house that Charles was shot. And it was a heart attack, all right. An attack on Charles's heart, literally. So technically, I guess Lori doesn't think she's lying. Pretty devious and crafty, in my opinion. And then July 11th happens. Mm -hmm. You've seen the body cam, that's all coming after the fact, but take me back to that day and how you found out that Charles died. Yeah. Um, so I just got a phone call in the middle of the day and said that he had had a heart attack. And so I was like, wow, like she said he had a heart attack at the house. So I'm thinking, wow, like Tylee sat there and saw him go down. My family had to watch him have a heart attack. Like that's horrible. And so my first thought is like, what, like, what is going on? Like, you're just in shock. Like, I just sat there just in shock. And I'm thinking, like, okay, what do I need to do? Like, how can I help them? All I wanted to do is reach out and try to help them out. So... Your mom said he had a heart attack. Mm -hmm. When did you find out he was shot by your uncle? Yeah. So when I went to the house, I walked in the door, hugged Tylee, thinking he still had a heart attack. I did not find out that he was shot and what had happened until I went and talked to her in the house while I was there. So obviously when you walk in the door thinking one thing and you hear that, it just like immediately, like I just, I like froze up. I just, I had no words. I didn't know what to say. I was like, what are you saying? What are you talking about? How does she justify saying that she, he initially had a heart attack to being shot? What yeah. She, how does she explain She that? didn't, I, I said that. I said, why would I hear something different? Why would there not just be the initial conversation? So. I don't know if she was scared of telling me like my reaction to it because once I heard that I was like I just started going off like I just got like I just started like cussing like I don't usually cuss but I was just like freaking out and I was like going at her like why would you not tell me what was going on like this is worse this is a million times worse than what you said so but play back that conversation for me you're what in the backyard mm -hmm. meeting her and what, what is she doing she's sitting there and said so you sit down and she said no, I just asked her I said what's going on I said what is going on and she told me the story how they got in a fight and everything and it just like it's still like just that feeling just like seriously like a drop from right here just through my body like just when i heard that he got killed that was just like more than i could really handle you you're know? wondering how does a fight lead to him getting shot right? exactly how did it escalate yeah what was the explanation for that did she have one because she was inside yeah she said that they got in a fight that they were physical that charles had the bed taken the bat from tylee and then I guess Al went and got the gun to like stop him because he was in a rage and then that was it. Is Charles known to ever be in a rage like that the way she described? No. Then the next day on Friday July 12th over 36 hours later Lori decides to pick up her phone one of many phones and texts Charles boys to let them know that their dad died. This to me sends huge warning bells. You're delivering the news that Charles died to his own children via text. Have you no heart? Oh wait, rhetorical question. Here's the text Lori sends to the boys on Friday, July 12th at 4.36 p.m. 
Hi boys, I have very sad news. Your dad passed away yesterday. I'm working on making arrangements and I'll keep you informed with what's going on. I'm still not sure how to handle things. Just want you to know that I love you and so did your dad. An immediate text follows saying, Lori, what happened? Where is he and what happened? Lori says, I'll call you when I can, bub. He is here in Arizona. He says, where in Arizona? When did this all happen? How's JJ doing? What funeral home is he at? No answer. Then he says, Lori, what the happened? You can't just tell us our dad died and disappear. You're not too busy to just let us know he died and disappear. Lori, it's been three hours. You're not that busy. I don't care what you're doing. Lori responds, I'm sorry you are so upset. I'm so upset too. I'm trying to get JJ ready for bed. I'm waiting to hear back from the medical examiner to make sense out of all this myself. Please be patient with me. It's a crushing situation all the way around. I'm still trying to process it too and what it means for JJ. So just to highlight her behavior a little step further, Charles dies on Thursday morning. She texts his sons on Friday afternoon, 36 hours later, and tells them that their father died. She immediately gets a response back and four hours later, she responds and talks about how upset she is. Clearly with this picture and a pool party and waiting a day and a half, she's super upset. And she says she's waiting for a medical examiner, not rocket science, Lori. He was shot to death in your home while you were there. And it's right there in your statement. And you placed yourself in the house at the time he was shot and killed. So there's that. Then 24 hours later, they text her again asking for an explanation and she says she's sorting it out. They said, when and where is the funeral? How did this all happen? I want an explanation. Then a question mark and another question mark hours later. She says, I'm still waiting, working on arrangements and sorting things out the best I can. I'll let you know when I know. He says, why aren't you telling me what happened? I've asked numerous times, just tell me. And that's not all, folks. That's not all. They send a question mark to her on Sunday morning, and she decides to message them back on Monday, July 15th, four days after Charles was killed and three days after she first let them know. There's the question marks. And they said, okay, Lori, it's been three days. You let us know our father passed away over a text message three days and we haven't heard from anyone. The only information we have is that one text from you saying he passed away. You disappeared after that. We need any information you have. What happened? When did it happen? How did it happen? Where is he now? Are there any funeral plans? And can, and it's redacted, it's the other son, and I can be part of it. We talked to him all the time and now he's gone. He was our dad and we loved him very much. We deserve answers. Also, why have you been the only one to contact us? We haven't heard from Colby or Tylee. I know they are affected too. I called Colby recently too, but he didn't answer. Is JJ safe and what does he know? I need to be kept in the loop about this all. This isn't a nonchalant topic. You can just throw a text at and be done with. Although according to Lori, she can. She responds by saying, these are your dad's wishes. He and I discussed this a lot over the years we have been together. My plan is to have him cremated as he wished and then take all of five of you kids to Hawaii to spread his ashes. He did not want a funeral. He wants a celebration of his life. I've been overwhelmed, but I am going to try start these arrangements today. 
JJ is doing good, but he does not know his daddy is gone. It's so tough because he doesn't really understand. He says daddy is in California working. I know how much he loves you boys and always has. I have a lot of things to do with the business and contacting people, and it's still also difficult. Today, I'm trying to put up a memorial page on the funeral home website. I'll send the link to you when I have it. I love you, and so does your dad. Just a side note, this is where she does the love bombing like she did that with Melanie Gibb. And she actually says the same words, I love you, and so does your dad. That's twice, same statement. His son responds by, I appreciate this information, but I will ask these questions again because I still haven't been given an answer. What happened? When did it happen? How did it happen? Where is he now? Is there a funeral? When is it? Who have you told about his death? Give me all information you have. Please, my brother and I deserve to know. And this is absolutely heart-wrenching and yet very eye-opening, isn't it? Her plan was to cremate him and take him to Hawaii to spread his ashes along with the kids. Well, did you do that, Lori? Did you take his ashes? We know you didn't take all five kids to Hawaii to do that. And your two children are dead, so tell us, why not? Why wouldn't you have arranged that? When did you do that? Did you do that? Why not? But one thing she did get right in that text, JJ didn't know that Charles was dead. In fact, at the end of August at his school at Life Academy in Gilbert, Arizona, he got upset and said, my dad is not dead, he's traveling. And something that also stuck out to me about this, she mentions California for travel in this text. Interestingly, she told Life Academy in an email that she got a job in California needed to move ASAP. So that's interesting that she's lining up California. Also interestingly, she told Life Academy that Charles had committed suicide. Which one is it, Lori? Maybe the self-defense didn't quite feel right, so she had to test out some other theories first on other people to see and check on how they would respond. Now, Cheryl Wheeler who's Charles's ex-wife and the mother of his two boys, found out through a medical examiner's webpage and the news about it being a homicide. She says, I checked the medical examiner's webpage and found Charles had been killed the day before and they had it classified as a homicide. We further Googled and saw all of the news reports out of Chandler. We found out that Alex had shot him. But wait, there's more with Charles's boys and what Lori did. Over a week later on Saturday, July 20th, they sent another text to Lori. They said, well, if you won't answer these questions, can we please have his watches and other stuff he always talked about and had around? Lori responds, of course. Send me the address you want me to send your stuff to. Kay is supposed to clean out the Houston house. I told her to let you and the brother have whatever you want first. Then she could give the have or give away the rest. Doesn't make sense, but that's Lori. I know he wanted you to have all that you want. I'd love to know the actual details of this. If there was a conversation with Kay, which I highly doubt. And here's what Charles's son said about the watches. Wait for it. My dad had a collection of watches, very fancy watches. He wore nice watches for years and years, so I thought she was going to send me some of them. The package arrived and inside were two cheap Timex watches you'd find at CVS. Anything that was worth money, we didn't get. I'm assuming she sold everything else. 
And you'll see in my previous video on Charles, I actually had questioned the morning that he died at the house if he was actually found wearing a watch. But replaying the video, it looks like he's wearing something on his wrist. I questioned though whether she stole his watch, seeing as, you know, she stole his vehicle twice, his credit cards, his cell phone, his wallet, his $35,000, you know, and everything right down to his underwear, literally, in court documents. So I'd like to know if Charles was actually wearing the same watch that he walked out of the hotel with at this point. I don't put anything past as to what Lori would or could do. Here's what I also question. A few months before he died, she had a message from the Lord that she had to go get his finances in order. So she went back to him. Now I wonder if she kept a little spare key on her, took a little journey to Houston after Charles was killed to go fetch his watches, among other things, and bought the little CVS watches and sent them to the boys. Because in each picture, we do see Charles wearing watches. And in body cams, he's always wearing a watch. His sons would know if he wore nice watches or not. How evil could one person get? Oh yeah, again, rhetorical question. But wait, there's more. Charles' son said Lori refused to tell them where Charles' body was or if a funeral was planned. The boys eventually figured out the mortuary where their dad was taken and they walked inside to speak to the funeral director. They described the funeral director as he was very shaky and nervous. We asked him for information and he said something like, I can't tell you that it was requested that I tell you nothing. Then a memorial service was arranged and Lori never showed up, neither did JJ. And Larry and Kay Woodcock begged Lori to allow JJ to attend, but she ignored their requests. Charles' son said that he was never close to Lori, even though he spent weekends and summers with her and their dad. And he said he was 10 years old when Lori and Charles got married and describes his relationship with his stepmom as acquaintances. He says, nobody has attempted to reach out, it's weird. Her family was always over and not a single one of them has said a word except Colby. And we see this throughout the entire year, don't we? Up until spring. It was Colby talking and no one else really. Until we had the barrage of interviews from Melanie Pulowski and then Lori's sister Summer Shiflin and then Lori's mom Janice Cox. And here's what Charles's son said about Lori and her demeanor. She can put on a smile and she'll make you believe that everything is okay. I'm surprised that she can pretend that things are just fine and dandy, but I thought it was very incredibly insulting. It was ridiculous that she's pretending nothing is happening and she's untouchable. Honestly, it really pissed me off. And this is a pattern with Lori. She did this with her former husband, Joseph Ryan. She was the first to know about his death and she didn't tell Joe's own sister, Annie, that he died until five weeks later. And she was heard saying that the world is a better place without Joe Ryan. He also was cremated. And we definitely know about the pattern of her bizarre flirtatious behavior, in my opinion. What I notice is that she takes almost two personas on, one with men being super flirtatious and a different tone with women, in my opinion.
Now, according to Melanie Gibb in her interview, she found out about Charles' death, she said, four days later. And Lori told her the truth about him being shot. Notable is she's the only person, from the looks of it, who got the truth. With the exception of Chad, of course, in my opinion. He was well aware, again in my opinion, as to what was going down and what went down that day. And time will show that little piece of info snack I'm sure. Stay tuned for that. Here's what Melanie Gibbs said in the interview. I didn't know about it until four days after it happened. She called me and she says, hey, did you see the news? I'm like, I don't watch the news. And then she told me. And this is very important to take notice of. She trusts Melanie Gibb enough to tell her that Charles was shot. But to her own son, Colby, she lies to him. And... The school that JJ goes to, she lies, and Charles's son, she lies, and she withholds the truth to JJ. Not that she would tell him the details, but there's a little pattern here. So the only one she does tell is Melanie Gibb. Very interesting. Now a side note also, I wonder at what point Kay found out. Because I'm wondering if it was actually through Charles's sons. I don't remember that. If you do know the answer as a fact, please put that in the comments below. Thank you so much. And of course, around this time when all this is going on, Lori makes sure to call the insurance company to cash in on Charles's life insurance policy. But there was a little oopsies. Charles changed the beneficiary, as we know, to his sister Kay Woodcock. And Lori thought she was a million dollars richer especially with the password change on Charles's life insurance policy and someone calling in and pretending to be Charles, not to mention that little trip to Houston that was called upon by the Lord to lock that money in. So to her surprise, she finds out she's not getting any money. Perhaps she had the wrong portal when she was talking to the Lord. And in true Lori style, she takes it to text and texts Kay. She says, five kids and no insurance money, and his sister gets everything. Now, all this is in the month of July, and that's the only stuff we know about. And how you do one thing is how you do everything, in my opinion. This isn't new behavior from Lori. We know she did all kinds of vindictive behavior back in January with Charles, and at the end of July, she also gets rid of JJ's service dog, his specialized school. Her son thinks that Charles is still alive. She stops all communication between JJ and Kay and Larry. And she lies to the school as to where she's going. And the list keeps going on with Lori. And this isn't the type of person, in my opinion, who would just wake up and do all this vindictive behavior. It's a pattern, clearly. And this screams to me that it's not the type of behavior of one who would have a loved one who just died, regardless if they were separated or not. She spent almost 15 years with him. How do you just look back and say, oh well, and then continue on, sorry neighbors, without a bat of an eye? But I guess Lori can. But it really is unreal, isn't it? And the behaviors of what we see, like I mentioned, is just a tiny glimpse at what the entire picture looks like. Imagine that. Let's have a chit chat below on this. 
What are your aha moments in this or what are your thoughts? Let me know in the comments below. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please like and please share. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.